Bible and open up to the 14th chapter of the book of Proverbs. And remember, will you, uh, that we are in the section of Solomon's Proverbs, the ones that you think of as Proverbs, the really short, pithy statements. Remember, Wearsby said this, they're short and pithy so that you could uh, hang them in the memory of your mind so that you could remember them in, a, in an easy way. Uh, but why, why study and why is this so important? I mean, why, why is it important that we study the Proverbs? Well, we learned that just right off the bat because there is biblical wisdom and then there's worldly wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is attempting, is helping us, not attempting, it's helping us to be wise people. And when you turn your Bible to the book of James, or you don't have to turn it there, I'll read it to you. I mean, this is very important because it says in James 3, this, who is wise and understanding among you? Verse 13, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So the conduct that we do as a result of our relationship with the Lord should be done and will be done in the meekness of wisdom. But listen, it goes on and it says, but if you have bitter envy, or if you have self-seeking in your hearts, bitter envy now, folks, think about that one, or self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't descend from above. Anything that is full of or or tainted by bitter envy or self-seeking or boasting or lying against the truth, it doesn't come from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil are there, but the wisdom that is from above, listen, listen, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. And here's the one that gets me. I don't know about you, but this one gets me. But it's willing to yield. (laughs) Uh, Ushers, could you usher this lady out of here? (laughs) Uh, full of mercy, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. Think about that one. Not being partial to somebody because they're rich or they're poor or this or that or blah, blah, blah. And without hypocrisy, not wearing the mask, being real and authentic. That's biblical wisdom, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is really an important topic, and the Bible tells us in the Proverbs right at the beginning, verse 7, it says it a couple times, and there's many times that this phrase is referred to throughout Proverbs, but listen, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, the beginning of knowledge. Listen, listen, the basic bottom layer, the thing that you're going to 
you know, build the foundation of your personality in Christ, the mind of Christ, is you're going to fear the Lord, which means you're going to be in awe. You're going to revere. You're going to respect. And you're going to honor the Lord. And that's where we begin to have knowledge that leads to wisdom. And remember, we said, what, what's wisdom? Just basically, it's not just knowing stuff. Anybody can know stuff. It's that ability to apply what you know to navigate life and all the different situations that come in it based on biblical principles or based on, yeah, yeah, you know, what the Bible tells us about things. I mean, come on, folks. When you graduate high school, where in the Bible does it tell you to go to college? I mean, and then if the Lord's leading you to college, where does it tell you to go to Yale or Harvard or Wittenberg? But that's where I went. But anyway, but listen, the Bible tells us to be modest. Well, what does that mean? I mean, can I wear a skirt here or here? What? what? Arms? No. Or what? Uh, and, you know, in the area of romance, I mean... Don't yoke up with somebody who's not <laughs> equally yoked. Okay, now what? You need wisdom, and so do I, and I need it from the Lord. And we've been looking at this for the last couple weeks that I've been uh, teaching up here. And now I want you to see something. Chapters 10 through right around uh, 22, in the middle of 22, are these Solomon Proverbs, and I'm going to point something out to you. The, the poetry switches in chapter 15. Well, I'll tell you now. The poetry is parallelism from chapter 10 to chapter 22. The first half of the poetry is very fascinating. It's something called antithetical or antithetical, which means the thought of the second verse is opposed to the first verse. And usually it has a but in between, marked by a but, you know, so like this. A poor person is made with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent people brings wealth. That's antithetical. The last half from the end of chapter 15 through, you know, into the 20s is something called synthetic parallelism, which is, Verse B doesn't contradict, but expands the thought in the first verse. Do you get me? So commit to I am your works and your thoughts will be established. That's 16 verse 3. In other words, the poetry switches a little bit. Because sometimes we're finding it hard to grasp what kind of pattern are these things in. And it does seem difficult in several. But just know in the Hebrew, the first half is one kind of poetry, and the second half is another kind of poetry. And then there do seem to be some clusters of ideas, but really, when you read it, it's like every day you're getting a little bit of wisdom on a whole bunch of different topics, and those topics repeat themselves in here. Train. So look at this. We get to chapter 14, and it starts out this way. The wise woman builds her house. The wise, 
wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with hands. Now, I just want you to think about the culture that you live in. The culture that you live in probably wants to X that out on the tape. They don't want to hear it. But the Bible tells us that a wise woman builds her house. What does that mean? It means that she makes her house her priority, priority, and it's a ministry to her. It's a ministry. She builds her house. And she helps in the training of children if children come. And she gives attention to the home and helps. And notice I'm saying help here. And helps to run it and make it go. Remember, what is happening inside the home that this verse doesn't tell you about, but that many in the Proverbs do tell you about? I mean, your home is basically an 18-year seminary. In this culture, 18 years, right? They leave at 18 years generally. Not all the time, but sometimes. And you're building and you're training and you're loving and the wife is, or the woman is there and she's building her house. I mean, she's encouraging, she's instructing, she's feeding, she's making and Men are helping now, so listen to what I'm saying. But women, it's a priority that their ministry is there in that home, first and foremost. And sometimes it can seem overwhelming, especially when you have little ones. And you're, you know. But that's why the Lord Lord tells us in the Psalms, David knew it, Solomon knew it, Unless the Lord builds the house, the house is built in vain, right? The Lord has to build the house. He's just using us in our roles, women and men. He's using us in our roles, and he's building us. And, you know, I think of even the verse in Zechariah. Zechariah. Did I say Zechariah? But anyway, Zechariah. I'm thinking of that verse. You know, not by my might or any of my power, but by the power of the Lord by his spirit. That's what we count on to function in our roles that God has called for us or set out for us. And so a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. I mean, those who don't pay attention to the ministry, in essence, are pulling down the house. And then he goes on and he says, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. And what does uprightness mean? It means straight. You're walking a straight line. Isn't it interesting that the, uh, the buyer Jesus tells us that narrow is the road to eternal life, right? Not many people go through it. It's narrow. You got to be able to walk straight. Doesn't mean you can't have interests, but you can't come off the path too much because You're going in through the narrow gate, not the wide gate. A lot of people can go in through the wide gate. You're going in through the narrow gate. But look, here's the interesting part about this. We're into chapter 14, and here comes the verse again. Or the, the saying, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. The people who fear the Lord, who are revering the Lord, 
holding the Lord in awe. What happens to people who are doing that, watch, out of their life a conduct comes, and the conduct is they walk a straight path. Conduct comes out of the belief or the uh, reality. To the degree that God is real in your life and you and I fear Him is the degree to which I walk straight. You see. Practicing the presence of the Lord. Understanding that the Lord is with you. He who walks in his uprightness, they walk straight ahead. Now watch, there's several places. I don't think I have them all, but here's a few in the Bible, or excuse me, in the Proverbs about the fear of the Lord. That's as we already mentioned. It's the beginning of wisdom. That's in the first chapter. And the Bible says, it also mentions it in chapter 1, verse 29, the fear of the Lord, but also in chapter 2, verse 5, it tells us that we can understand the fear of the Lord. We can understand the fear of the Lord. Hmm, that's interesting. But when you go on to chapter 3, verse 7, it says you, you're not to be wise in your own eyes. If you're wise in your own eyes, it's the opposite of fearing the Lord. That's in chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 13. Hate evil and pride and arrogance and evil way and a per perverse mouth. People who fear the Lord hate evil. Why? Because God hates evil. Hates pride. Oh, boy. And arrogance and every evil way and perverse uh, things in the mouth. And again, in 9.10, it says it's the beginning of wisdom. In 10.27, it actually says that the fear of the Lord will prolong your days. Why would it say that? I mean, come on, there's been some really famous missionaries who've died early in terms of human years. David Brainerd, for one. Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, he wasn't even that old. I mean, I think he was in his 50s, but that's not old to me anymore. But anyway, uh, maybe in his 40s, but... But anyway, what does it mean that the fear of the Lord would prolong your days? Is it a guarantee? No, the, the Proverbs aren't a, a guarantee. They're general principles that are generally true. If you fear the Lord, you're going to walk in straight paths and not get mixed up in the things that sometimes are detrimental to your health, right? Or, or are detrimental to your health. And so as a general uh, statement, it can prolong your days the wisdom or the fear of the Lord. How about in verse 14, 26, people become strong and confident when they fear the Lord. That's what it says in 14, 26. Don't, don't see, now that attracts me. I'm like, that, I'm like, oh, I want that. But see, then my, the Lord deals with me. It's when I fear the Lord and I'm humble, and I'm laying down my life, and I'm dying to self and wanting more of the Lord, that he gives me his strength and his confidence in him to walk and to navigate this life. That's what the fear of the Lord does. And then in 1427, it says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Who wants a real dry, dusty life? Raise your hand. Who wants a real boring, know-nothing life? No, you want a fruitful fountain of life. And the Bible says in 1427 that a fear of the Lord gives a fountain of life. So that's great. 
And uh, 1516 says the fear of the Lord is valuable. 1615, uh, receiving correction in humility is a sign of the fear of the Lord. And then 166, uh, I only got to 166, so there might be more. But these just give you an idea. Uh, anybody who fears the Lord departs from evil. Now think about it. Think about if you're doing something that's inappropriate. What do you think's happened to you? Well, you've lost or you've maybe lost the sense of the presence of the Lord or that he's there and can see and knows. And you, you've said to yourself that this is way more important than the Lord is. And we've all done it, but you understand what I mean. So you, you run from evil or you shun evil when you fear the Lord. So when you go back to verse 2, you go, he who walks in uprightness fears the Lord. Yes. And then you look through all the other Proverbs that talk about the fear of the Lord. But he who is perverse in his ways, he despises the Lord. He shuns the Lord, you see. But how about this? In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. (laughs) When you're prideful, it actually lashes you. And you're your own worst enemy, but the lips of the wise preserve you. And now this one's really great. It's sort of puzzling at first. You sort of scratch your head. Who here wants to be equipped for ministry? Raise your hand. You want to be equipped for ministry? You want to be equipped for ministry? Well, here's a little saying for you to write down in your notebook there. And it sums up this next verse. Ministry is messy. And if you can't handle messiness, be careful. And here's what I mean. Look at this. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase increase comes by the strength of an ox. Where there's no work getting done, there is no mess. That's what this ver- proverb is saying. Oh. I even have uh, quotes I didn't know about. This is great. Those who insist that there never be a mess or disorder will miss the increase that comes from good things that can be a bit messy. Ministry is messy where there's no work. If you're one that always has to have your ducks in a row, let's say you're so protective of your house. And you say, you know, I just, I just want to have, you know, a ministry of a Bible study, but there's just no way they're coming to my house. I mean, I've seen those. Those, those people's kids, they're going to ruin my rec room. Well, you might be in the wrong business because ministry is messy. You're going to have to put things away or even, you know, in our 11 years, we've had toys broken. We had two couches broken. We had a, a ceiling fan broken. We had uh, uh, a punch in one of the doors I mean, I understand you don't want it, but that's what happens when you have a lot of people in your house, right? So if you're beholden to the things and not the people, you got to be under the, uh, or you got to be aware that ministry is really messy and where no oxen are, the trough is clean. Who wants a clean trough? I mean, you sort of kind of do, but you got to, you got your priorities backwards. If you recognize that you're not, or if you uh, uh, p- uh, put that above the ministry, that I just want to don't, I don't want to deal with the headache. I don't want to deal with the people. They're too messy for me. Well, okay, 
But that's what it is. Troughs get dirty when you do work. How about this? A faithful witness doesn't lie, but a false witness will utter lies. We want to be faithful witnesses, of course. And a scoffer seeks wisdom and doesn't find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. See, a scoffer doesn't find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. And Jesus told us about this in Matthew chapter 7. And he just said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You'll find. Press in. Ask, seek, knock. Do it, and you're going to gain understanding. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you don't perceive in him the lips of knowledge. <laughs> in other words, foolish friends are dangerous. You've got to be very careful. Foolish friends are dangerous. Of course, we're called to go out into the world. We're going to meet some fools. Amen? We're going to meet fools who don't even know they're fools. We're going to meet fools who think they're the smartest people in the world. But you have to recognize and understand where you get your counsel. So you got to be careful. And somebody always asks me, I mean, there's a guy that asked me, I, I go into the bars and I um, share the gospel with people. Is that wrong? And here's what I say. I would say maybe, and here's why. I would say if you're the barometer in the bar setting the spiritual temple with, or temperature without losing your witness, well, then you should go if that's what God's calling you to. But if you're like me and want to drink 14 of those beers, maybe you should stay away. Amen? Right. So somebody might call somebody to, to that ministry and not others. And so, uh, uh, you know, don't be in the presence of foolish men, and yet you're called to be in the culture. And so you, when you read these, especially this one, I think you understand that you and I need the Holy Spirit and His wisdom to guide you in that. Well, moving on. The wisdom of the prudent or wise is to understand His way, but the folly of fools is deceit. I love this one. Man, if you follow the Lord, you know who you are and you know where you're going. Let me say that again, because I get excited about that. There's a lot of people in life who are in counseling sessions, can't get traction in life, even in the Christian life. And what this proverb is saying is that a wise person knows his way or her way. Come on. See, maybe I'm being too simplistic and I'll get criticized for this, but come on. You are either a prince or a princess of the king. You're a saved sinner by grace who's been redeemed. And now Christ is in you and you are in Christ. All that Christ has, you have available to you. When you go and die, unless the Lord comes first, there's no issue. You're going in. By the blood of Jesus Christ, your whole future is settled. Your whole past has been dealt with. And now you don't have to call yourself a victim anymore because you aren't a abused person. Although if there's abuse in your life, it's horrible and tragic. I get it. 
You're not an alcoholic anymore. You're not a cocaine dealer anymore. You are a born again, Christ follower, child of the King. And that's your identity. And the reason I'm telling you that is you know who you are. And that's why I think it's so important to study Genesis. You know who you are. You know what? Chapter one goes, this is who God is and what he's done. And then it goes, and it shifts and it goes, now chapter two, this is who you are. And it tells you, the Bible tells you, it, it, it sets down your roots and it tells you. And if you understand who you are, man, you know your way. What's my way? You know what my way is? It's the same as your way. It's that wherever I go, wherever the Lord calls me, by the way, all I do is just, you do it too. You just show up, Lord, where am I supposed to go? You don't care if he doesn't give you the answer right away because you know him. And you say, Lord, where am I supposed to go? And he tells you where to go and you and he sits you there where it's a law office or a doctor office or you're a stay at home mom or you're whatever you are. He's put you there and he's, he tells us in his word to what you're supposed to do. I understand my way every day. You know what you're supposed to do? Glorify the Lord. It says it in the book of John. You're supposed to produce fruit that glorifies God. Oh, and by the way, here's your ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How do I know it? I just read, so do you. You have the ministry. I don't care if it's social media ministry or homeless ministry or uh, uh, writing letters ministry. I don't care what ministry is. It's the same ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. That's what your ministry is. So now... I know what I'm supposed to do every single day. I don't have to search. I don't have to do anything. I know. I know where I've come from. I know who I am now. I know my future. And so I know what I'm supposed to do. And so when I read this, I get jazzed because the wisdom of the prudent or the wise is to understand my way or his or her way. I know your way. It's the same thing as my way. (laughs) It just might look different. You might go to a different place during the day, but my way and your way is the same. To glorify God, produce fruit that glorifies God, and I have the ministry of reconciliation. Wow. So amazing. It's so, uh, uh, re- uh, it gives you such relief. I know who I am and I know where I, I'm going just because I read the Bible and I know the realities and so do you of God and who he sent or why he sent his son. And now that the Holy Spirit comes into our life. So the wisdom of the prudent, your wisdom is to understand your way. Want me to give it to you again? No. (laughs) But the folly of fools is deceit. You never know. A wise man knows who he is. A wise woman knows who she is. And they don't hide. They live in transparency. I don't know. I love it. But anyway, nine, fools mock at sin. It's really foolish to treat sin lightly. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, it's really foolish to treat sin lightly. If you're out there and you're not upholding God, I'm just going to say it, 
God's sexual ethic and you're calling yourself a Christian and you're just winking at the Lord, that's not a good place to be. Fools mock at sin. If you're looking on your phone and you're just saying, ah, one more time, one more time, fools mock at sin. But the upright, here it comes, the ones that rock straight, there's favor for those who take sin seriously. And the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger doesn't share its joy. Sort of a weird little proverb for us to read. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But here, let me try. It's difficult to know the pain and bitterness of another. Ooh. But also, don't be like Job's friends. Don't be like Job's friends, folks. That's what I think that proverb is telling you. You're sitting here watching somebody suffer or or be in pain or whatever, and you think you have all the answers. And so you spout them all out. Anybody ever done that? I've done that. When the reality is you don't know. You don't know, and I don't know. And it's hard to see what's in the heart of another person. And even with the joy of the Lord, you ever you ever had something happen to you? I had some stuff happen around my dad's death. I know that sounds morbid, but when my dad died, there were so many miracles that happened. But it's funny when I tell the story. When I tell the story, I tell the little miracle and somebody goes, huh, oh, good. But I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> this happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, great. That's really great. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. This was amazing what the Lord did uh, during this. Oh, yeah, oh, that's great. And you're just like, oh, okay, they don't get it. And that's okay. And that's sort of what the Lord is saying there. But that's cool, too, in this way. Here's why it's cool. Because God does stuff with you personally. You get it? And you know... Eleven, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright, there it is again, the upright, that seems to be a theme in this psalm, or excuse me, proverb. But the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that seems right to a man. There's a path of life. There's a, a way you should go. But its end is the way of death. You know, um, so, so there's a way that seems right to you, but in the end it could lead to death. So here's what I would say. You and I and we need to be intimately uh, informed from the Bible. That's first and foremost. You and I, as much as we can, as quickly as we can, just a little bit every day, should know the Bible and know the God of the Bible and His character and how He acts in certain situations. Because you don't want to be misled, right? Because sometimes you get something in your heart. Some people will come to me, maybe in the office, and they'll say, I'm thinking about doing this. And I'm like, I don't think so. No way. I know, but I, you know, it just seems, like it's in my heart. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. So here... It's good, we're going to see in a little bit, number one, to be intimately familiar with the Word because you don't want to travel down the way of death. But also, listen, there's a, um, a benefit in the multitude of counselors we'll see here in a minute. And your family, of course, your mom and dad, 
your uh, siblings, etc. Well, even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Man, I think of Robin Williams when I read that proverb. Here's the funniest man on the earth for 30, 40 years, and he was desperately hurting inside and, you know, committed suicide. And how sad and awful is that and shocked a lot of people. But you just never know, right? There's, you just never know. Even in laughter, which we're grateful for, but the heart may be sorrowful. Because laughter sometimes, you see, could keep you from the fear of the Lord. You, you know the trick, right? When you don't want to go deep with people, you know what to do, right? Just joke around for a while. They'll forget. Keep them out there. So they don't go in there. They don't come inside, right? And so laughter is good, of course, if it keeps your heart merry and all that sort of thing. But there's, there's laughter that can keep people away from the sorrow that's underneath, which when people are trying to help steer people to the fear of the Lord, you know, could be injurious to people. So um, another uh, uh, proverb, and the end of the earth may be grief, and the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. One who backslides. Why are they doing it? Because they want to go their own way. But a good man, listen to this, will be satisfied from above. A good man or a good woman. Don't you want to be that person? Aren't you tired of comparing? Aren't you tired from, of being discontent? Aren't you tired of looking around and saying, why does he get that and I don't get that? Why does she have that house and I don't have that? Why do they have that Instagram page and mine looks like that? Why, why, why? It's the thief of all joy and contentment, right, is to compare yourself with other, other people. But what if you were just satisfied from everything that was from the heavens? God, His Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, where He's placed you. The Bible tells you anyway, just travel light. You don't need all your possessions. Travel light, man, so you can minister more. Amen? Don't you feel great when the mortgage goes away or the car payment goes away? You're like, whoa, so fantastic, amazing. And here, what if we were just treasured the Lord? What if the Lord was our treasure? And everything and all of our satisfaction and contentment came from our relationship with Him. By the way, you know that the you know that the Sabbath was made for man, right? Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Remember Jesus saying that? Remember that? And Paul told us that we don't have to pay attention to Sabbath, and yet a Sabbath is a great idea to rest and rejoice and to find healing and to focus on the Lord and, and, and to just... I really believe in Sabbathing you can find rest and healing. That's where you find it. And here's the funny part. This is why pastors say this. Every morning, you really don't have to check ESPN for an hour. You don't have to go like this. Ready? Real, 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 real. For two hours. You know what you're just missing out on? You're missing out on your Sabbath with the Lord where he wants to speak and talk every morning. 
Just come away with him in your office, on your back porch, in, out in the trail, wherever you go. That's where you do business with the Lord. You speak to the Lord. He speaks back to you through his word. There's where he patches you up and heals and, and gives you encouragement and direction for the day. And yet we're checking reels for two hours. And I'm just saying, oh man, what if we were just satisfied from above the heavenly things more than anything else? Oh, wow, it would be so beautiful. Well, the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. What are we to do? We're, we're to watch where we step. We're to consider it and think about it. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A fool, a foolish person flies off the handle. You're, you're a fool if you fly off the handle. That's what the Bible says. And, you know, everybody makes mistakes and all that sort of thing. But we're to depart from evil, have long-suffering, and to have confidence in God. That's what verse 16 tells us. Don't be quick-tempered. You're acting foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Simple people inherit foolish things and foolishness, but wise people, knowledge comes on their head, and the evil will bow before the, uh, the good, and the wicked at the gates of righteous. Someday the Lord is going to put it all together. You understand that? You ever pointed at somebody and say, man, they're doing evil stuff and they're getting away with it? Well, they're not getting away. There comes a time when everything will be set right. Well, verse 20, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. That's saying, be careful if you have money. People might like you just for your money. (laughs) He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And I want you to see this, man. Generous hearts are happy hearts. Generous hearts are joyful hearts, not hoarders. There's nothing wrong with saving your money, being prudent, doing all the right things. But hoarders, people who are stingy, are not happy people. That's what the Bible says here. If you despise your neighbor and you don't love your neighbor, by the way, love your neighbor is in Leviticus, folks. Chapter 19, verse 18. It's in Matthew 22. We're to love our neighbor. And when we love our neighbor, we do things for them. We just don't say, oh, I love you. No, we do things for them. You have mercy on them, and then you become happy. Do they not go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth belong to those who devise good? Um, planning and doing evil is sin. Not just doing evil. Planning is, e- is a sin. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. That's all throughout the uh, Proverbs about being lazy. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. Again, speaking of if you work hard, etc. Uh, now watch this. Everybody circle this. A true witness, a true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. You and I, folks, 
are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And you're to be, and I'm to be, a true witness, which means, and I'm the king of this, so I'm pointing the fingers at me. I just want to, I'm the king of, I can talk to you about anything. I always tell people, everybody thinks I watch NFL football all day. I don't watch NFL football all day. I watch ESPN at night, and in five minutes, I know every score and every stat, and they stick here. And I know tomorrow people are going to be talking about it, so I can talk to you about it. What foolishness, unless I build the bridge to spiritual things. To just talk to somebody about football or music or, uh, or movies or your weekend or whatever, you're just covering up the true gospel or the true witness that delivers souls. Let me show you something that's pretty sobering. We're almost done. Go to Ezekiel 3, but it's important you go to Ezekiel 3. A true witness. This hits me, man. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. You're, you're, you're just me putting on the mask. I'll be one of the boys here for a while. And I'll talk to you about the things the boys talk about. Well, I'm a fool when I do that. Look at this. Down in uh, verse 18. You ready for this? Ezekiel three eighteen through 21. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he doesn't turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. Uh, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you didn't give him a warning. Uh, uh, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. And you go, well, that's that's amazing. And, and then in one hand, you go, okay, that's God speaking to Ezekiel. But, but turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here's Paul, who is on this side of the cross. Sorry, I'm having a tough time getting there. Here's Paul on this side of the cross, and then go to verse 26 and 27. And Paul was doing the same thing we're to do, is to share the gospel. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what Paul did. Paul didn't talk about the, uh, you know, the QB rating of the NFL. He could. He could talk about boxing and racing. He could, but he always got to the heart of the matter. He was called to do that, and that's the way we're called because a true witness speaks the truth. It doesn't just do the foolish things, the non-eternal things. And then here you go. In the fear of the Lord, look, there's a strong confidence. I love this, man. Here's why I love it. You want to have strong families? Don't we want to have strong families? That's why America's broken down. We have terribly 
insecure. We have families that have broken. And if you're in a broken family, I'm not killing you. What I'm saying is let's go from here and go back this way instead of that way. And here's the prescription. The fear of the Lord gives the leaders of the family, the mom and dad, great confidence, not in their own self. They're confident in what life is all about because they have a relationship with the Lord. They understand their way. They know who they used to be. They know who they are now. They know where they're going and they know their purpose and they know those kids are in there in their home for them to feel loved and secure and set out to share and love others. Not to be the center of the universe in which all of us, including God, revolve around. No, God's the center of the universe whom we all revolve around. And look, it says, when you fear the Lord, you have a strong confidence. It's not of yourselves. It's of God. And his children will have a place of refuge. The children feel safe. You get it? And they feel strong and they feel in the Lord and they feel, wow, they can lay down their lives for Christ and they can serve others. And then they grow up seeing a confident, God-fearing marriage and they do the same. And on and on we go. And I love this verse. That's where it starts at the fear of the Lord. It's not setting out in marriage with your own thoughts and feelings about what marriage is. No, it's fearing the Lord in the area of romance. And the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And that's what happens there in the family. There's a fountain of life there at the house. It's not boring. It's not uh, overbearing. It's not exasperating. It's life and it's love and it's grace and it's forgiveness. And life comes pouring out of the house. And this is the prescription for what's wrong with the world right here. And in a multitude of people, verse 28, is a king's honor. But in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. That's because the king is strong because of how many people honor him. That's what it's saying there. Be careful about titles. And he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. A sound heart is life to the body. See, we've just been talking about it. When you know who you are, you don't envy people. Oh, the Lord's blessed him with a $2 million house. Praise the Lord that they can minister to people over there. Wonderful. That's so great. Oh, you know, and he's on TV and they're doing, that's just great. Praise the Lord. That's, and you're not saying, well, why me? Why not me? You're not doing that because it just eats away at you. Envy is rottenness to the bones. And he who presses the poor reproaches his maker. You know that the heart of the Lord is for the oppressed. Don't you know that? Amen? And we should be have a heart for the oppressed. In James 1, 27, you know, pure and undefiled religion, orphans and widows, it's, it's not just picking out orphans and widows, although it is. It's saying oppressed people. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. And the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Oh, thank the Lord for that one. 
When we die here physically, we're saved. We're safe by the blood of Jesus Christ. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. It comes out, man. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or is embarrassing to any people. And the king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Listen, I think if you just study and restudy and keep thinking about the Proverbs and then being serious about studying it. Remember, Warren Wiersbe says, Proverbs is like any other book. You ought to be serious about it. Take notes. Think about it. What am I going to do? How am I going to participate with the Lord with what he's telling me? I, I, I want to have confidence, but I don't feel confident. How do I become confident? Lord, help me be confident in you. Help, Lord, help me have strength in you. How, how do I do that? Tell me, Lord. Uh, and then the Lord starts to impress upon you. Whoa, wait a second. Your whole past has been settled. Your whole present is completely uh, 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 solidified, and you've been given a, 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 a favored status as a prince or a princess of the king. And my whole future is already de- determined. I win. I'm on the winning side with Jesus. And I'm going to reign and rule with Him. And all that's settled. I don't have to strain and strive. While I'm here, I'm going to do my best to worship Him. And what am I going to do? I'm going to bear fruit that glorifies Lord, and I'm going to preach to people reconciliation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you go or what you do. We're all doing the same thing. It's so beautiful. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for these amazing Proverbs that I can't seem to do more than one chapter a week. But Lord, they're so beautiful. And uh, I just pray that You'd help us live these out. Not that they'd be pie-in-the-sky things, uh, but that You would help us live them out. Lord, we need Your Spirit to do it. Your work, Your power in our lives. Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.